do things now to slow your rate of aging, especially your rate of aging of your brain, are really important so that you can have the maximum benefit from that. Hi, I'm Zoe. Hi, I'm Erica. Hey, Erica. This is our podcast. Well, what do we do on the podcast? Uh, we talk to wellness experts. Well, what do we talk about? Mm, wellness stuff. And why are we doing this? Because we want to have an inclusive conversation about things that you can actually use and apply to your life. Right. We don't think that wellness should feel preachy. We think it should feel like everybody can participate. That's right. So if you like what you hear, tell a friend. Give us five stars. They're all free. All of the above. All of the above. And think of us as your navigators on the bumpy highway to well. On to this episode. On to this which episode. actually feels quite positive. I mean, yeah. what a lovely human. Like, right. Oh my gosh, Dr. Roizen, which rhymes with poison. Dr. Uh, Michael Roizen of the Cleveland Clinic was amazing. What a breath of fresh air. Yeah. We just uh, had permagrin the entire the entire conversation. I know. Well, he, I mean, speaking of positive, he just really, so he's a co-author of this book, What to Eat When. Um, and we also interviewed his co-author, one of the two, um, which was Dr. Michael Krupain. And Dr. Roizen, I feel like, you know, completely walks the walk. He, he just, he had so much good information to share that I feel like, yes, he had a permagrin and so did we, because it was like, oh, this is actually uplifting information. Like, look how wonderful eating right can be for you. And we talked a lot about specifically about longevity. Yeah. This one was focused on longevity. A lot of, a lot of good news for, for some, some folks out there, myself included. Guess what? You can drink some alcohol. Spoiler alert. Zoe got a hall pass. I got a hall pass. (laughs) Not be like so panicked about my cardiovascular system every time I drink like alcohol. I will will caveat this by saying one glass of wine is what he recommends. No, no, no. It wasn't even wine. That's the whole thing. One, okay. One unit of alcohol is what he recommends. Right. But still, it was like kind of a big statement coming from a very data-driven, yes. as they all should be, but are not, MD. And, and one of his, you know, caliber, I thought that was very, hey, I'm taking it. I'm running with it. I know you are. Running with it. Um, it is not, however, good for uh, immunity. It's not good for immunity. It's not good for people who have a family history of cancer, which we already knew. But we did talk a lot about other things besides alcohol. We talked oh about... Oh, yeah, yeah, No, that was just the cherry on top. That, that was, was the cherry on top. We cover a lot of good things here. He is lovely and so knowledgeable, and we want to have him back. And we want to write a book with him, Dr. Roizen. Let's yeah, do we it. have some educating to do with Dr. Roizen because he doesn't know about functional mushrooms yet, and we're going to blow his mind. Yeah, it's going to be good. Okay, well, enjoy this one. It's a good one. We love giving you ad-free episodes, but you're going to have to listen to this one real quick. Because this episode is brought to you by us. Yes, our brand new brand, Earth and Star, is taking your daily habits like cold brew and matcha and elevating them with adaptogens to give you some ridiculously healthy benefits. Benefits such as cognitive function, calm, stamina, and a huge boost to your immune system, which I think we can agree we all need right now. 
Our super convenient, ready-to-drink lattes are 100% certified organic and plant-based made with, what else? Rothy oat milk. Is there any other kind of oat milk today? I don't think so. No packets or tubs or clumpy, weird powder that no matter how much you try to mix it, it never seems to dissolve. Just a delicious little can of magic. We've got all the flavors. We've got cold brew coffee, matcha, turmeric, cacao, which is basically adult chocolate milk. And we are adding 2000 milligrams, that is no small dose, of functional mushroom extracts like lion's mane and chaga to basically upgrade your everyday habit into a kick-ass functional latte. Kick-ass. Kick-ass. Available at earthandstar.com. Take 15% off with the code HTW at checkout. Earth and Star Mushroom Lattes. Amazing taste. Healthy as sh- Alrighty. Take it away, Zoe. Well, welcome, Dr. Ro- I mean, the, the correct pronunciation. Roizen rhymes with poison. Roizen. Poison, Roizen. Pretty funny. Uh, MD author, co-author of The What to Eat When Cookbook. We are here to talk about, um, we, we spoke with your co-author. Michael uh, Crupain. Yes. Michael Crupain about, you know, certain, certain pieces of the what to eat when book. And, um, now we're, now we're going to do part two with you. That's going to focus a little bit around more specifically on longevity. And clearly you're a master because you are taking this conversation in stride. Literally. Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. I am striding on my treadmill desk. So you are right. Um, but you should know, I just came from the kitchen with our other co-author, Chef Jim Perko, oh, right. where we made, um, and I hope I don't have things in my teeth, nope. but we made roasted beets and beet greens. We did a, uh, a chive uh, garden bean salad, mm-hmm. which isn't really a bean salad, it's a bean dip. Okay. And uh, I said beets and beet greens, and we did a cucumber and squash uh, garden salad. That's so awesome. made three salads, if you will, for our videos. But uh, so I'm I'm really into the cooking part of it today, if you will. That's great. I mean, we're we're definitely in that camp as well, where you know, food is medicine, but it also really needs to be delicious. So you're in good company. Well, in fact, that's one of the basic principles of the book uh, is. Um, only eat food you love and that loves you back. That is, food is a relationship. You wouldn't marry someone who is trying to kill you every day. You shouldn't eat food that isn't going to love you. You don't want food that's going to try and kill you every day. Well said. Okay. That is very well said. You don't want um, well, we do want to really get into this topic of longevity. As Zoe said, you are certainly, uh, you're certainly walking the walk. And there's my other pun. But... <laughs> First, we would like to hear a bit about your background because you've definitely, uh, you've got quite an esteemed resume and it's kind of exciting to be able to talk to you. So can you tell us a bit about your, just your history with medicine and how it's kind of brought you to where you are? Okay, it's my privilege. So I uh, trained, I, I went to UC San, I, I went to UC San Francisco for medical school and that was in the Vietnam era. So we, um, I was lucky enough in, in addition to doing a residency in anesthesia and one in internal medicine, I got to do my arms, arm duty, my tour of duty, if you will, at NIH. 
where I gained a real appreciation for um, what solid research is and how difficult it is to do it well. And then I went, I joined the faculty at the University of California, San Francisco, and I was in three departments, pharmacology, anesthesia, and uh, internal medicine. And I'm one of the few people who made tenure probably at UC San Francisco who left and went to the University of Chicago. But at that transition period, we started learning that the major risk factor for out for bad outcomes, that is the major determinant of outcome after cardiovascular surgery. I was running the cardiovascular surgery unit and the step-down ICU. The major risk factor for complications was age, more important than kidney function, more important than heart function, more important than liver function, etc. So we started trying to motivate people. How do we get them 10 years younger in the period surrounding their operation? show you how great an effect it was, someone who was 75 with every other risk factor the exact same on paper, but who was 75 compared to a 55-year-old had ninefold the increased risk of dying or of serious complications. So that led to studying how do we, one, can we make patients, can we help them get 10 years younger in the perioperative period, in the two weeks surrounding their operation, and two, um, how do we motivate them to do it? And it was solely lucky. We it was it was a patient who was smoking uh, a pack a day, and he came to me and said, "What's my risk, doc?" My surgeon says, "I don't have much risk because I'm only 49." And I said, "Sydney, you wouldn't have much risk if you were really 49, but you smoke a pack a day, and that makes you 57." He said, I can't be. And I said, why not? And he said, because I have a birthday in two weeks, but no man in my family has lived to their 58th birthday. And I don't want to die in the next two weeks. And so thinking fast, I said, well, you can get younger. If you stop smoking today, you get one year younger in a month and two years younger in, in three months, et cetera. We only had one piece of data. Actually, it was from Linus Pauling had done that work in World War II, looking at the soldiers who had stopped smoking versus those continued. And so, um, to my surprise, he stopped smoking. And that led to the development of the real age paradigm, which we used at the University of Chicago extensively to help motivate patients to get younger in the perioperative period and improve our surgical outcomes. So that started my writing career. We wrote the book Real Age. And much as I'm on your show, I was, I was lucky enough to get on Oprah, and uh, that day, <laughs> and uh, the day we were on, that we were talking to her about her rate of aging, her real age, turned out there was a snowstorm in the east, and so um, everyone was uh, home, if you will. And so it was the highest rated show for the last 10 years she had had, mainly because of the snowstorm. To show you how good this was, we had a website up, realage.com. We knocked out the internet for eight hours on the West Coast. We were located wow. in San Diego. Um, we had more attempted hits that day than uh, AOL did, which was the big service provider in that era. So that started me on this inveterate career of trying to translate science into action items for people so that they can 
what what you term longevity, I turn getting younger mm-hmm. because what the era that we're going to go in and what uh, what the when cookbook is about is how do you get more prime years? If 60 is the new 40, by 2030, I think 90 is going to be the new 40. You're going to get 30 more prime years in the next 10 years. Yeah. That's amazing. That's incredible. Are you still friends with Oprah? I I, I suppose I can say yes, um, (laughs) if you will. Um, And she does this every year, so she uh, still comes here for the Cleveland Clinic for her medical care. So since she tweets it out, I'm allowed to divulge it. Of course. Of course. Should we just dive right into the, the you know, how do we do it? How do we use well, lifestyle diet specifically to get younger? Where do we start? Well, well the key, um, and I hope uh, Dr. Coupain probably talked to you about this as well, is that you want to go through a gene shift every day if you can, or at least once a month. And what do we mean by a gene shift? Well, when the Human Genome Project started, it was known we had enough DNA in every cell for about 300,000 genes. But it turns out we only have 22,500 genes. So what are the rest of the DNA base pairs? They're actually switches that like a rheostat, you get to control which of your genes are on or not. And one of the keys with intermittent fasting, if you do it right, or with the what to eat when diet is, in fact, it's not a diet, it's a what to eat when cookbook and lifestyle, if you will, is to switch from have going from a, if you will, a fasting mode to a eating mode every day. During the fasting mode, you literally harvest old cells um, and start to recycle them. And then in the refeeding mode, you create new, younger cells. So you get to do, if you will, what we call senolysis on yourself. You harvest your old self and create a young cell. And you can do that simply by your food choices. So intermittent fasting done right means you front load food, meaning you have more food when, if you will, the sun is out and less food later on, and have a period of about 18 hours a day, 16 to 18 hours a day, when you're eating, not eating um, at all. So that's what um, the key is. But the second key, um, so I've gone over a number of keys. One is eat when the sun is out, that don't stereotype food. You can have lima beans for breakfast, lima bean dip, if you will, or chive dip, or beets, or a salad for dinner or for breakfast or for lunch, doesn't matter. Mike and I both eat usually around uh, 11 for our first meal of the day other than coffee. Coffee is good for you from a standpoint of decreasing mental aging, and I'll come back to that. But And then we finish eating, and the main meal is in the middle of the day, and we finish eating usually by 6.30, um, or I finish eating by 6.30. He may do it a little earlier. And what it does is it lets you sleep better, gives you more energy, and you end up not being hungry at night after four days. So you got to do it for four days, if you will. But that period of shifting genes from being starvation mode to being mode of plenty 
is the key in revert or in, in slowing your rate of aging, actually in reversing aging and making yourself younger. Wow. So can I just ask you how many cups of coffee have you had today? Because I heard a rumor that you have like 12 cups of coffee a day. I have a lot of cups of coffee a day. I don't, I don't count. Um, but if I was thinking, they're pretty big cups, as you can see. And uh, I think I've filled it four times. Wow. Oh. You just drink it black? Yes. Well, the, drinking it with anything in it, one, you have to filter it. So even if you like a press, make sure you have a paper filter because you filter out the substances that cause the liver to secrete more LDL, more harmful cholesterol and cholesterol-related proteins. Secondly, so when you say, uh, press, because I, I've actually been, I've read a little bit about this too, just in learning more about, you know, coffee and different ways to consume it and what it does for you. And I'm a decaf drinker, unfortunately, I can't, can't tolerate the caffeine, but I love the, the taste and the ritual. But I've, I've read that if you use a French press, you have to be very careful with like the, you have to let the water cool after it boils. But are you saying that even with a French press, you're supposed to use a filter? You have to use a paper filter to not age from coffee. That's right. Oh boy. Unfortunately. So, and ca- decaf gives you about half the benefit of caffeinated because the polyphenols in coffee are about half of the benefit in the, in the studies that have looked at it. You don't want to have anything else with it, if you will, that uh, may cause you to age. That is, some of the milk proteins may do that. We don't have good enough data, but just to avoid them in total, I just have it black. I oh. didn't like, I, when I used to have it before I read the data, I would have it with sugar. And when you read the data, it's pretty clear you don't want sugar in your beverages. Yeah. So I went, I, so as you may know, I was, uh, until Dr. Oz and my administrative assistant, Beth, did a intervention on me on September 4th, 2010 at 422 in the afternoon. You can see how big it was for me. I was a uh, 36, uh, 12 to 16 ounce a day diet Dr. Pepper drinker. So I've been, uh, whatever it is, uh, I should celebrate it, right? I'm 18 years, 18 years queen of diet sodas. That was the last diet soda. I still, I'll show you something. You still have the bottle? Yes, this is the last bottle. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. That is fantastic. He's holding up a bottle of that says no more soda. And that was his, that was his trophy. Good for you. You, you, yeah. Clean and sober. So did you get any, um, did you have insane like reflux or anything from eating, from drinking that much uh, carbonated, that much soda? Not that I know of. I didn't have any symptoms of it. So, uh. No, you know, they, had pure as a physician, you're pretty sensitive. I used to, I mean, just to show you how crazy it was, I used to have the, I got friendly in whatever city I was in, first in San Francisco and then in Chicago um, with the Diet Dr. Pepper distributor and then in Cleveland because I would have pallets, you know, um, per month. I had to have five pallets of uh, cases oh. of diet, of, of you know, there are four Four uh, cases per pallet of oh uh, Diet Dr. Pepper. It was sevenfold wow. high. So it was 28 cases a month I would get delivered. Well, I hope you were an investor or something. <laughs> no. so, so you were talking a little bit about the milk proteins and the coffee and how that obviously will lead to aging. Can we, can we 
segue a minute to just talk about dairy and milk and, and all of that good stuff as it relates to, to aging and then maybe some, what else is making us old? Well, we don't really have good enough data on uh, milk proteins. We have very good data, red meat, pork, egg yolk, and some cheese proteins, which change the bacteria inside you to cause inflammation. And there are 14, and I, I, I'm getting a little too science nerdy. If I am, just cut have, me off. We have a very get, smart audience. We did. So, I get, so yeah. I get 14, there are 14 theories or hypotheses on why we age. And one of them obviously relates to inflammation. And so red meat, processed red meat, egg yolks, cheese, are things that change the bacteria inside about 80% of us. It's not 100%, but it's about 80% of us. And we produce a substance called trimethylamine, gets changed in your liver to trimethylamine oxide, which causes inflammation and is a greater risk factor when it's elevated, as it is in most meat eaters, um, than is LDL cholesterol or even than is hypertension. So it's a very substantial risk factor for heart disease, stroke, and memory loss. So those are the the real foods you want to avoid if you want to avoid what we call unforced errors of aging. So the the key point is you can have food, and, and we just made four dishes down in the kitchen that were superb, tasted magnificently, and are great for you. And anyone you so there are 135 recipes in the What to Eat When cookbook that I'll bet anyone would love at least 100 of them, if not more. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they are good. Every one of them is a void of simple sugars, a void of uh, devoid of uh, simple carbohydrates, and devoid of things that cause inflammation in your body. So, so chicken and fish are not on this list. Chicken is relatively neutral. It doesn't change to a large degree the your microbiome, and consequently, it is fine for you. It isn't. We don't think of it as making you younger, but it doesn't make you older. It's neutral. Fish, especially ocean trout and salmon, DHA. When you get up to eleven hundred milligrams or more per day, that's eating. Uh, four ounces of wild salmon four times a week or taking a supplement with it in it and that or having ocean trout in it or sardines. If you have those fish, you actually, that makes you younger. It decreases your risk of uh, aging in your arteries. It decreases the risk of your brain cells aging. So is there anything to, is there uh, an opportunity to kind of counteract or counterbalance? Like if you eat, if you're hitting your marks with the salmon you know, with the DHA, but you still like egg yolks, do they balance each other out or do you really have to be that sort of adhere to it that closely? I'll give you the data, okay? So in the diets that have been studied at preventing dementia, that is your brain aging, and that's probably the most important thing from a standpoint going forward because we think by 2030, we're going to be able to repair almost every other organ with the exception of the brain, as I said. So in keeping your brain young, 
if you were rigorous in following that diet, you reduced your risk of dementia by that alone, without doing physical activity, without doing stress met by 60%. If you were just okay, that is you had egg yolks and stuff and you, you, you tried to balance stuff out but weren't perfect, it was about a 20% effect. So food is a really powerful way of decreasing dementia. And that's really, so the, the, the compelling thing, I only write books when I'm compelled, if you will, by new science. And the only reason to eat right, the what to eat when and the what to eat when cookbook were the science is compelling that by changing your food, by making small changes in food that you can love, you can really change your rate of aging and have many more prime years. Now, you mentioned you might love egg yolks. I don't know if that was you, Erica, or not. Egg yolks and more specifically coconut oil, which we can talk about. Yeah, we had a few words yesterday with... uh, (laughs) Dr. Krupain about the uh, coconut oil and egg yolks being on the no list. As I told him that I just cooked my daughter like eggs and coconut oil in the <laughs> breakfast. He's like, what are you doing? Um, so, so the point is you can get your TMAO measured. And well, that's what I was going to ask. How, because so it's for 80% of the population, right? right? So you get yours measured. If yours isn't elevated, keep going. You're not one who's unfortunate. I, I think I might be the one. So what do I need? So I'm going to go to my functional medicine doctor because so damn privileged. And uh, I am going to ask to be measured for... T-M-A-O. Trimethylamine oxide, but it's abbreviated T-M-A-O. Or test my ass off. Yeah, and if he or she doesn't know about it, you want a different doctor. Ah, okay. Good to know. It's a good test for whether that doc is up to date. So we need to know if we're allowed to eat egg yolks fried in coconut oil or not. The point of coconut oil, and Mike knows this story for me, I was, as I told you, I was at NIH in my service. And that was in a time before genetic models of Alzheimer's and other dementia were available. So the way we caused that in mice, rats, and guinea pigs, which were our subjects at the time to look at dementia, was we... Uh, gave them a little infection in the paw, and then gave them coconut oil. And that accelerated the development of dementia considerably, meaning you could cause it invariably in two to three weeks in those animals, the equivalent of three years in us. So, I mean, but it was a high diet and it was an infection. So what about all these Southeast Asian cultures that, I mean, literally are living on coconut oil and these saturated... Well, Well, obviously... They're also living on a lot of other things. So they, it's, it's not that, that we don't, we're doing this experiment slowly on ourselves, if you will. Mm-hmm. So one of the, stu- the horrible study I read today, if you look at the uh, greatest generation, they've had a decrease in the rate of dementia as they get older, considerable decrease. It's been cut in half over the last 20 years. Unfortunately, for boomers and the generations that follows, we're developing dementia at the rate that's almost twice what they developed it as. So we're developing it younger probably because of our, we haven't had as good habits as the uh, greatest generation. Right. And we were basically raised on processed food where our greatest generation started with simple foods when they were babies, right. infants. And, and didn't and didn't get very and didn't get 
obese at any place near the rates we are didn't have the sugar content in food that we did because they had to make food from scratch. That's the way we should do it again. Egg white omelet, an egg white veggie omelet is a superb thing. Agreed. Cook the, pour on some olive oil and and a relatively low temperature, saute your vegetables, flow in the uh, egg whites. It's it's what I have every, when I get to cook on Saturday and Sunday mornings after I I do exercise, rigorous exercise on Saturday and Sunday mornings and watch the morning shows. But after that, 1130 is uh, egg white veggie omelet. You're living your best life, man. After you watch like Dr. Oz and Oprah, you have a veggie. <laughs> <Quite> <laughs> like, um, wait, I have a sidebar question because there are lots that I want to come back to on this thread. But since we're talking about dementia and we're talking about your love of coffee, do you have a stance or a breadth of experience with lion's mane mushrooms and putting them into your coffee? Um, I don't know what lion's mane's mushrooms are, but mushrooms are a great thing. So you're going to teach me something. We are going to teach you some stuff and then we're going to write a book with you. So it's, it's a deal. Yeah. Functional mushrooms. Oh my gosh. Okay. So oh, mushrooms are great. I don't know that brand. Well, um, know. You know, you know, one of the great things about mushrooms is if you turn them over and expose them to the sun, what do they do? They soak up the vitamin C. They produce vitamin D. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Shiitakes. Put them on your windowsill. That's exactly right. You know, of all the people I've talked to, you're one of the few, maybe the only one who've gotten that correct. Now I got another quiz question for you, Zoe. So Erica, you can chime in. What was, um, what was Elvis's major contribution? Peanut butter and banana sandwiches. Something about weight loss. Um, what was his major contribution? Neither. He cured polio. When he got vaccinated before he went in the service in 56, 0.3% of Americans eligible for polio vaccine had signed up for it and gotten it. He got it on TV on the three major networks and PBS. There were only four networks in 56 of you, IBC, CBS, NBC, and PBS. He got it live on TV. The Surgeon General gave him the shot, first shot the Surgeon General ever gave. The head nurse was watching, watching mainly the Surgeon General to make sure he didn't pass out. But Elvis got it live. Within eight months, 83.2% of Americans had gotten, were eligible, had gotten polio vaccine. He cured polio. That's incredible. I do feel like we were slightly down the wrong path. I thought thought we were getting another mushroom trivia question. So my brain went (laughs) in a different direction. Uh, yes. So lion's mane mushrooms uh, are amazing for, there's a bunch of science on, on um, their ability, like in connection with dementia and all the rest, but functional oh, in general are just like an amazing um, group that we are focusing on. So just going back for one uh, second to the oil question, I just wanted to get your take in general um, on seed oils, canola, sunflower, safflower, all the rest that seem to be in literally everything on on shelves these days. So we don't have a lot of data on them being um, harmful. So I'm hoping that they aren't. But we, so you'd say, um, are these oils harmful or helpful? We know that they're probably more beneficial than saturated fat. 
with the proteins that it comes with, but we don't know just saturated fat per se. We don't know, we do know that the mono and, and multi-unsaturated fats, that is the omega-3, the omega-7, uh, and omega-9s are healthy and decrease your rate of aging. And so we, we just don't have enough data on that on the rest of the nut oils or seed oils, I guess right. you'd say. The nut oils are healthy. So here's a question for really just the, I guess, the novice that's coming into this. I think a lot of people understand now about intermittent fasting and maybe have tried on some level to incorporate it. But I I certainly feel like I've read plenty that, you know, argues that it's not, you know, once you're doing your fasting window, it's much less about what you're eating as it is just about that kind of window of restriction. And then obviously in the other camp, is, you know, what you're eating is, that's been the focus of so much more, uh, you know, media and attention for, you know, decades since this whole like diet culture has really been, you know, pop culture. In your opinion, and I know the book and your whole mission is about eating the right things at the right time, but if someone had to choose, at least, you know, if they're starting out, is it more important what they're eating or when they're eating it? We don't have data that I'm data driven and we don't have data comparing the two. But if my guess is that what you eat matters more than when you eat initially. And, and let me go and, and, and say that why. So there are two components of longevity. One is rejuvenation, which is really staying as young as you can be. The second is regeneration, which is rebooting your body. What you eat is important in rejuvenation. When you eat and the intermittent fasting and changing which genes are on to which genes are off is important in regeneration. But my own feeling, if, if I was going to say it, is probably for now may change. But if I had to make a choice, it would be staying as young as I could right now because we're going to get more things that affect regeneration by 2030 in a considerable way. So, um, and the real way you do intermittent fasting is that 18 hours of not eating every day, or in the the best data is by Walter Longo from USC, who does the five-day modified fast called the fasting mimicking diet, where the data are um, 1,000 calories the first day, 750 the next four, and it's a, it, it literally was a tomato-based soup. They have a company now, Prolon or El Nutra. But initially, it was a tomato-based soup. I think it's 32 ounces of diced tomatoes, 32 ounces of water, 12 ounces of corn niblets, 12 ounces of water, onions, and spices to taste. And that was what people ate. You could have 18 portions of that, 17 or 18 portions of that in a day and not go over the 750 calories. But you notice it's low protein, low sugar. And so that's, those are the keys of that diet to reset the genes. So you get ketotic on days three, four, and five and reset your genes into longevity. Well, there are many more things like that. So we, 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 we talk about that in the book as well. But if I was going to make the choice right now, I would say probably it is what you eat that's more important but I don't know, we don't have data on it. Yeah, on that note, I guess I would, 
it seems right. Just thinking about a lot of these blue zone cultures and, you know, when you think about their diets, it's like, yes, you know, Greeks are definitely eating. My dad's from a blue zone. He's from uh, Ikaria, Ikaria. And the culture there is like, you know, they're, they're not they're not having dinner at 6 p.m., put it that way. Like They are, they have a great diet. They eat a lot of fish. They also eat a lot of dairy and, and they're, they're out. They're eating late at night. They're all, you know, very late, like into the morning. So it, it, it's curious. I don't know. No, I think, I, I think, I think that, that rejuvenation, slowing the rate of aging is a very important component. And that's probably what they're doing. And it may be that their genetics and it may be yours are such and their microbiome is such, their exposure to bacteria is such that they don't get the inflammation from milk proteins or dairy proteins. Right. Yeah, it's true. So just a random question. If you had to choose 10 foods to live on for the rest of your life, what, what would they be? Well, you know, I consider coffee a food. So coffee <laughs> yeah. is one. Food and beverage, go ahead. So coffee is one, water is two, I guess. Three would be uh, broccoli, uh, four would be salmon, five would be spinach. Now, I've got to be very careful, right? I've only got four more or so to go. Dark chocolate, uh, walnut. Did I say walnuts? Dark chocolate, yep. walnuts. How many have I got? Do I have three yep. more? Three left, yeah. I like peas and pea protein, so peas are probably one. Uh, green beans, and then the the problem is you're not giving me enough spices, so I got to put in onions. Ah, okay. okay. Onions, are onions and garlic. Can I put onions and garlic as one together? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and well, I didn't say olive oil. I need, I need an oil, so olive oil. Yeah, it's a different category. So you get olive oil. What about, let's segue into alcohol. Where are we going? How, what, do you, what are your feelings? Don't break my heart. Don't break my heart. I have alcohol. You know, I have most nights of the week I will have, and weekend, I will have a glass of wine. Occasionally two, but usually one. Um, so I like wine. So and alcohol. So alcohol decreases aging of your arteries. It increases aging of your immune system. The way we look at it is, if you're more risk of heart disease, stroke, those are things you'd want to have the alcohol. If you're more at risk of cancer, that's a reason not to have it. Whoa! No, wait. I'm sorry. Can we? <laughs> Can we say this again? I feel like you just gave her the golden ticket and now give me the green light on. So, so I have a horrible, I have a horrible history of stroke and aneurysms in my family and all the rest. Red, are, are, when you say alcohol, are you specifically talking about wine or are you? No, they, they, we don't know the difference in the studies. So there was a fraud in this field. The fraud was the red wine fraud. It may, you, you can get enough resveratrol in red wine if you have 140 bottles a night. Most of us can't do that. Right. Um, so you've got to get your resveratrol some other way. So red wine, white wine, uh, beer, and spirits all have the same benefit from an alcohol content. So that's the, uh, the message, if you will. Decrease your risk of um, arterial aging, increase your risk of immune aging. So Someone with a history of heart disease and stroke, probably alcohol is a reasonable choice to add. If you've got a high risk of cancer in your family, you may want to reconsider. No cancer. No cancer here. Not <laughs> family line. Uh, it's all about... You heard it here. Tell us about the brain aneurysms. Uh, so 
Wow. Why? So why, why has that been such a confusing message? Like why? Because nobody's going to actively promote drinking alcohol. The way that you just communicated it, which is like, it's for immunity, it's going to age you. Uh, For cardiovascular, it's not such a big deal. You know, when I started in this field, when I, when we really got going on, on doing the real age program, it was amazing to me. I was rated as one of the, you know, thousand best physicians in the United States. And I didn't know most of that data. And so they had in that era, they had the thousand best physicians, you know, so, but I was on that list and I didn't know most of the data. And when I talked to everyone else, virtually no one knew the data on how good the data were on lifestyle effects on your rate of aging. And so we, we have done, we, we in medicine have done a really less than optimal job at, at being teaching the public on what, uh, clear messages and being consistent with the science. Some of the people aren't consistent with the science, but I think we have to be consistent with the science. And that's the, the science evolves. But this, nothing, you know, what we set as the criteria for real age was it had to have four studies in humans with a consistent effect. We've been reversed on nothing. None of the 151 choices in real age has had a reversal and it's been shown to be the most predictive metric that is. It's the most predictive assessment of cardiovascular death and of overall um, all, what we call all-cause mortality, but it should be because it's based on science. If you go with one study, which is a lot of things do that, you're going to get inconsistencies because as other people, other labs change techniques a little bit, the outcome changes, and that means it isn't a consistent effect for that one thing. Mm-hmm. Wow. so interesting. Yeah, well, this is all good news, I will say that. Can I just ask one random question about the salmon? I'm sorry, I hate to go back to it, but I eat a lot of it and I can't stand the, the when you compare them flavor-wise, texture-wise, wild and farmed, obviously the farmed is just like so much fattier and delicious than the wild, you know, darker, leaner, all the rest. What if I sidestep this whole thing and I'm just eating wild smoked salmon? What is your feeling on smoked? You know, the data on smoked food is not the most beneficial. Now, that said, I eat a lot of uh, smoked salmon too, but no place near as much as I am. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if Mike told you, but I am a leading consumer of salmon burgers um, sold at Costco that are wild salmon. Oh, I thought you um, made them yourself. You're getting the Costco ones. Okay. <laughs> well, we had three different recipes on salmon burgers in the What's Eat When cookbook. One was done by Mike Crupain. One was done by Chef Perko, and mine was the one bought at Costco, and all I did was flavor it. <laughs> <laughs> Season it. My husband but they're great. They're, I don't know if you've taken them. Zoe, put them, put the Costco salmon birds. They're, they're the overage of the Alaska salmon run. Delicious. Grill them. Put a lot of garlic on them. They're magnificent. All right, on my list. They're one of the best. So when I listed salmon, I could I could have listed salmon burgers, as Mike will probably tell you, since I probably have, uh, if you opened our freezer, we probably have 36 packs of 12 salmon burgers in them. So, I, you know, you, you can tell what, you, what you're addicted to by what you don't want to run out of. Yeah. It used to be Diet Dr. Pepper. It's now switched to uh, Costco salmon burgers. They are delicious. 
That's quite I a think we, we increase the sales of them substantially when we talk sure. about them, I think. I'm <laughs> yeah. sure. I hope you're investing in all these companies that you're <laughs> No, no, no. That's a... Uh, Nothing in Costco and Trident is the name of the company that makes the salmon burgers and I have no investment in them as well. All right. Um, what about gluten? What, what's your feeling on us speaking of burgers? There are some people who are, have a true immune reaction to gluten. So those people shouldn't have it. There are a lot of people who have an intolerance to it, meaning um, they don't feel good with it but it isn't a true immune reaction. So they should probably avoid it. The rest of the people who don't have any anything bad with it, it's probably okay. Um, so I don't, I mean, in other words, you're saying, is it okay? Yeah, it's great. It has protein, it has, it, it has fiber, depending on how you eat it, of course. So, but, um, so, um, and you probably heard from my co-author, Dr. Krupain, that he loves pasta, whole wheat pasta. So, um, but uh, he, he actually will have uh, veggie pasta as well as uh, uh, wheat pasta. But he will he. So obviously, the the data are that except for those small groups, which is probably the true allergies is probably around one in two fifty. The true immune reaction, the the intolerance is probably about ten percent. Right. I would also, I think the fiber piece of it is really important. And I would argue that many of the people who don't feel good after eating what they perceive as gluten is because they're eating just bleached white flour, which has no fiber in it. And that alone is going to have an adverse effect. Whereas if you have amazing, you know, delicious breads that are made with, you know, whole grains and you have all that extra fiber or the whole wheat pasta, for example. Um, but that's, um, I, I think that's also such a typically American, you know, we're just so accustomed to these, this, this factory food that is just completely devoid of what actually used to be in it. Um, but yeah, also the quality of our bread has obviously changed. No, I agree totally. So how many steps have you taken while we've been on this conversation? Well, we've been, uh, I think, uh, 46 minutes or so. Yeah. And I've, uh. I think I've taken 4,600 steps. That's awesome. How many do you do per day? Um, I don't go to bed without 10,000. Okay. But that seems like you could knock that out like before happy hour. <laughs> if I don't, I'm in trouble, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I will. I normally get, I'm not in my, this is an academic office. I'm not in my academic office every day. But on the days I am here, um, I get more than 10,000 easily. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. The tougher days are when you're seeing patients back to back to back. It's much tougher to get 10,000. Yeah, I imagine they don't like it if you leave the room half the time to go <laughs> take a lap. <laughs> Never tried that, so don't know. <laughs> um, all right, um, what, what else can we touch on here? I mean, I can go down my laundry list all day long and just, you know, ask you about fermented foods and all the rest. But I feel like we have a, we have a good, pretty well-rounded uh, list so far. Um, but is there anything that you want to talk about specifically that we didn't touch on? No, I think what you did is, is and I think what I'm going to just mention is women can make themselves about 30 years younger than their calendar age by age 75. So you can be functionally a 45-year-old or 44-year-old at age 75. Men, it's a little less, it's about 29. But the key, and we've extended life expectancy by two and a half years every 10 years since about 1880. 
um, both women and men. Pandemics cause a change in that, but just for a long time. So 1917, I think the average life expectancy was about 50. It went down to 38 in 1918, but by 1920, it was back to 54. So pandemics change it, but we rebound as a society fast. We have two pandemics going on now, both uh, COVID and opioid, but we expect to rebound pretty quickly. But the point of this now is we're learning and there's an exponential increase in the research and longevity that is in basic aging mechanisms. And, and some of that is expressed in the food in the book. But where that's going to take us is to be 30 years, you will be gaining 30 years in the next decade, we believe, with a 90% probability. So you're going to have many more prime years. It's not you're going to live longer in, in a uh, nursing home situation. You're going to live longer being a kick-ass babe. So the point is, if you'll pardon that expression. I love but, it. Um, but the but the point is um, that do things now to slow your rate of aging, especially your rate of aging of your brain, are really important so that you can have the maximum benefit from that. Yeah, we want the we want the rectangularization, right? That's right. So what you're talking about is you want to live healthy and vibrant till right near the end and then quickly die. That's what you just go skydiving. Yeah. The rectangular shape of the flat line and then it just drops. Yeah. That's what we want. Yeah, no, it's a great, it's a great point. Thank you. This is your, a, a wealth of knowledge and clearly up to date on a lot of things that others are not. So (laughs) thank you. Thank you. That's what I do in life. No, no. It's very, it's very inspiring and encouraging. And um, I think, you know, it's also just common sense, which is our favorite, it's our favorite wellness uh, methodology of all is just, you know, think carefully about what it is that you're considering. And there's an element of common sense to all of it. Love love you back. Drink a lot of red wine or any other alcohol you like. I love this. This is a great episode. Our (laughs) chocolate, walnuts, salmon burgers. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Dr. Brisson. Broccoli and olive oil. Yeah, perfect. Thank you. Thank Thank you you so much. It's really lovely chatting with you. Enjoy the rest of your walk. My privilege. Thank you. (laughs) Take care. Thanks for listening to HTW. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and make sure and rate us on iTunes. You can even give us five whole stars if you think we deserve it. If you have ideas for guests or topics, you can call our 1-800 number. Yes, we have a 1-800 number at 800-674-1839 or holler at us on social at HTW Podcast. You can also head to our website at htwpodcast.com for more episode info and check out our Daily Blend blog to see what we're drinking.